name is Caroline and I'm part of the team here. And I'm really pleased to be able to open our new teaching series with you this morning. We are looking at the I am sayings of Jesus, which are pretty much all found in the Gospel of John. And so this morning we are looking at the first one, which is I am he. And he says this to the woman at the well. And Dawn is going to come and read our passage for us. And then I will continue after that. Um, I'm not sure which mic. Is, is this one on? Yeah, okay. I'll mute me here then. Okay. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Oh, I can read it from there. Sorry. I should have said it's John, John 4, 1 to 26. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go. Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we, sorry, must worship, thank you, <laughs> the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Thank you, Dawn. <laughs> there we go. Oh. So this story might be a familiar one to us, or it might not be, but it's a good one. So we pick up this story when Jesus and his disciples have been in Judea, and the Pharisees, who are the uh, Jewish leaders of religion, are starting to get grumpy about Jesus and his growing popularity. They start um, bickering and um, they're plotting against Jesus. So Jesus decides that they need to go back to Galilee and um, has decided also that they need to go through Samaria. Samaria is a region in Israel um, full of Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans, as we've heard, don't associate with each other. And so most of the time, if the Jews had to go north, they would go a long, difficult way around just to avoid the whole region so they didn't have to come across any Samaritans. But anyway, Jesus says, no, we have to go through. And so um, off they trot. And I think, you know, Jesus says elsewhere that he only does what he he hears the Father telling him to do. So obviously, God's got a plan. And they go through Samaria, and they come to this um, place, Sychar, and they're human, so the disciples go off to get some food, and Jesus sits down by the well because he's tired and probably thirsty. And it's the hottest part of the day, it's noon. <clears throat> so he's sitting there, and then uh, I believe that this is a divine appointment that God has a plan for the woman to meet with Jesus, and so he waits, and then she shows up. And so he meets this woman at the well. And the first thing that he does, actually, is to give her dignity by asking for her help. He chats with her about normal things. Would you get me a drink? But she questions him immediately and says, how can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. But Jesus isn't really bothered by social taboos. Samaritans and Jews, as I've said, don't really associate with each other. And also, rabbis don't tend to talk to women on their own. But he ignores these taboos and carries on. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have uh, asked him and he would have given you living water. And she's a bit confused by this. And it's important to think to say, uh, to do a little bit of background. If you want a, a, a deeper talk on this subject, actually, with lots of context, lots of history and background, may I encourage you to go back and listen to Dawn's talk on the woman at the well, because she went into great detail and it was very interesting. I'm not going to do that particularly, but the fact that this woman has come to the well at noon implies that she's a social outcast, because you don't go and collect water at noon because it's very, very hot, 
the water jars that you carry are heavy and it just doesn't make sense. So most people probably would have gone in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. And it's probably safer in the morning because it's light rather than when it's getting dark. So this woman was out on her own in the middle of the day and so she was clearly trying to avoid everybody else and she um, was wanting to yeah, remain sort of covert, not to be seen. And so she was probably a bit embarrassed as it was that she was there and then this man starts talking to her so I'm not quite sure how she was feeling. And then he starts going on about living water. I guess it may pique your interest. So she asks him, well, the, the well is deep and you've got nothing to draw with. How do you think you're going to find this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who kind of set up this well? And Jesus tells her, oh, everyone who has this living water will be thirsty. Everyone who has the water from the well, sorry, will be thirsty again because, you know, we're humans, we drink water, and we know that we need to keep drinking. In fact, as I'm talking, my throat's going dry, I need to have a drink, but all in good time. But everyone who drinks from the living water, the well of the living water, will never thirst again, because it will become like a spring and bubble up out of you. And I think what Jesus was saying is that, you know, when we accept, you know, he, I mean, he was saying in a roundabout fashion that we know post-resurrection, that when we accept Jesus into our lives, when he is very much a part of our life, he's the one that satisfies, he's the one that fulfills us, and we can never be truly whole until we do. She doesn't quite understand what he's talking about, though. So they have a further conversation. And he starts to say, well, you know, go and call your husband to come, and implying he'll chat to both of you. And actually, oh, bless you, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, hang up from my cough. Anyway, um, she, he starts to tell her about herself, which I don't know about you, but that would have freaked me out. If somebody I had not met before started coming up and telling me about my history, I think I may have been slightly scared. But anyway, she doesn't seem to be too put off. He's, she said... Go and call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And he says, no, you're right. You've had five, and now you've got a man who isn't. But he wasn't being judgmental. I think he was just demonstrating that he was more than just a mere man, because otherwise, how could he have known these things? And she says to him, I see you are a prophet. So she's not totally freaked out about it, because she sort of understands and then they start having this conversation about the differences of the way that the Samaritans um, view the faith and the Jews view the faith. And he says that salvation comes from the Jews. And in time, you won't worship here or here, but actually you'll be worshipping in spirit and truth. And that's what God is looking for. And then she says, he asks her, another question. And she says, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes... He will explain everything. And she just look, he looks at her and says, well, actually, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am your salvation. And that must have been an incredible moment when you meet somebody. And he must have said it in such a compelling way because her encounter with Jesus changes her life. You know, he... Uh, 
He doesn't come to condemn anybody. When we approach Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, it's with compassion and with love. And he wants to restore us and redeem us. It was the same for her, it's the same for us. And I don't know, I wonder, perhaps, I don't know if you've ever felt that you've been unheard or unseen, or you felt unloved and alone. I think we've all had times when we felt like that, but I would love to encourage us and to remind us that actually we are loved beyond measure by someone who died to know us, someone who went all out to bring us back into relationship with them. You see, God sees each one of us. He sees you and he sees me. I'm very fond of saying this, so you may have heard me say this before. But he knows each one of us deeply and intimately and loves us so much that we actually can't comprehend how much he does. And he will pursue us. He so longs to be in relationship with us. He will look for us. He will look for those encounters. And um, he will find us. So Jesus is really our living water. We need him to survive in the same way that we need water to, you know, hydrate our bodies. We need living water to hydrate our spirits. And I think this story that we heard that Dawn read so beautifully is a story of two halves, really. So in the first half of the story, um, in fact, the passage that Dawn read is the first half of the story, the whole of it, where she encounters Jesus and he explains who she is, he is to her. And she takes it all on board. But the story does go on. And may I encourage you to go and read the rest of John chapter 4. Because it is quite exciting. And so this woman at the well in her social outcast position has met with the Son of God. And it has changed her. And um, it goes on from there. But before I go into kind of the second part of the story, I'd like to share with you... um, a testimony that I heard the other day. Um, so two years ago, I uh, did the Alpha course as a leader, and it was online because it was during lockdown, and we had a few people who came to do it, and um, I met a couple on our Alpha course, and they were questioning as you do, and that's what Alpha's all about. If you haven't done Alpha and you'd like to do it, then we've got a course starting next week, in fact, so uh, come and speak to one of us afterwards. We can tell you all about it. But she came and did Alpha with her husband. She was in my group. We got to know each other and um, we built up a friendship and we chatted quite regularly through lockdown. And it was lovely to see how she was growing. Um, They lived quite far out. So during lockdown, they had decided to watch an online service and they'd Googled streaming services or whatever. And the first one that popped on was this church here. It's definitely a God moment because they live near Birmingham and why would that happen? But anyway, it just so happens that her husband was baptised here a number of years ago. So there was a link and um, they decided to watch our services. They watched the children's, there was always a children's section right at the beginning of the morning and then it went into the main service. And um, their granddaughter used to sit and watch with them and she loved the children's, the children's bit and they loved the kind of main service. So they did Alpha, they became Christians, they went on. And then in time, as the world started to open up again, you know, this, is, this church was too far away for them to become a part of. So they looked for one near a home. And they found one, and they joined it, and they got stuck in, which was really, really lovely. And um, 
she's very enthusiastic and she, I think, managed to get all her daughters to come and join her at the church. In fact, one of her daughters was baptised before she was, but they've all been baptised now. And uh, her daughter, another of her daughters did Alpha because she was so enthusiastic about it and she's gone to the people that she works with. And um, so it's all, you know, she's, she became a Christian and she was excited about it. And I'm just going to pause it there for a minute while I go on to the next part of our story this morning. So if we go further into chapter 4 of John's Gospel, we will find that this woman was so excited by meeting Jesus that she ran all the way back to her town and said, come and meet this guy. This guy's amazing. He knew things about me that he couldn't possibly have known. He told me everything I'd ever done. And um, I think she, I can picture it in my mind, her running along the path, just telling everybody as she's passing them, come and meet this guy, come and meet this guy. And something about her must have been so contagious that they did. They came to hear Jesus. And this whole group of people came to hear Jesus talk. And they managed to convince the disciples and Jesus to stay for another two days to talk to them. And it says many Samaritans began to believe. So her initial encounter with Jesus caused her to then um, spread the word of his love for her. But actually, if we then fast forward to Acts chapter 8, we can see that, I I like to think it is anyway, it says that Philip, who was one of the kind of team of the early church, went into Samaria to preach the good news. And I like to believe that he built on the foundation that this woman had started to lay all those years before. And it says in chapter 8 that even more many Samaritans came to know Jesus. And that's really exciting as well. So what we do today actually really matters because we don't know the ripple effect it will have in time to come. And Jesus is good news. Our salvation is good news. The fact that we can be forgiven. We all make mistakes, but recognizing that and asking God's forgiveness is so key. And when we have Jesus in our lives, um, you know, things... We are forgiven, we are loved, and that changes us. doesn't mean our life might get any easier, but it does mean we're not alone, and it does mean that we have got God on our side, and he, will, uh, he can transform any situation. And so that good news needs to be shared, and um, it needs to spill out of us. As the more we know Jesus, the more we encounter him, the more it should spill out of us. And I think... Um, we need to be intentional. So um, going back to my friend, uh, just to continue the story, she's got involved in her church. And just before Christmas, she had a nudge from God about um, uh, she works in a nursery, she works in a church school, and so they have assemblies and they say their prayers and everything. But something happened and she just felt this nudge, we need to teach the children how to talk to God. It's not enough just to say a prayer, but to really talk to him. And so she decided to go back to Katie's videos from the um, lockdown era to learn how to teach the children how to talk to God. And so now on Fridays when they have their nursery assembly, she sits there and she teaches them how to talk to God. And it's early days, but it's just so exciting to see how God has um, started revealing his plan to her and how, you know, she's... um, She's involved in helping very small children learn how to talk to their Heavenly Father. 
and she's involved in lots of things. And I just, I was so enthused by listening to her enthusiasm for where she's at and how life's going for her. And it just made me think. And, um, and it leads on, actually, from last Sunday. Uh, if you're a member of this church and you were here, you will have heard John McGinley. Uh, if you haven't heard John McGinley, he's online on our YouTube channel. He is uh, heavily involved in the Church of England's new um, mission to try and create 10,000 new worshipping communities in the next decade. Um, he's quite a key player in that, but he's got a lot of experience of um, mission-shaped li living. He's written a book about it. He's written a course for it. But he was just inspiring. I came in the morning and I heard him speak about how he makes it an intentional to try and meet people and to just get alongside them. You know, we're not asked to convert the nations. We are asked to be obedient in the moment. So it might be that God nudges us and says, um, go and talk to that person, just have a chat. Or, you know, sometimes God puts something on our heart and we, we actually just need to act on it. It's scary. But the very worst that can happen is that someone just says no. You know, if we ask someone if we can pray with them because they've got a bad knee or something, the worst that can happen is they'll say, no, thank you. And so in some ways we need to get over our fear of rejection because actually to be obedient to God is more than that. It's, it's more important. Um, but yes, I would definitely encourage you to listen to John McGinley if you can because he's quite inspiring about just listening to those nudges and, and making friends and... Uh, you know, and it's being intentional. It's, um, you know, uh, this wellspring that they were talking about. It should bubble up from out of us. It should bubble out from all of us, actually. And you can't argue with someone's personal testimony. You know, if someone shares something with you that they've experienced, you can't argue with that because it's, for them it's very real. And if they're excited about it, often we will catch that enthusiasm and it will become infectious and we can... Infectious in a good way, I have to say. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we want it to spread, don't we? We want people to see us and to see the light of Jesus in us. And we want to share our salvation because it is really good news. It's the best news ever. And so um, this is... Uh, this story of this woman who was outcast who then runs and shares the good news with her town. I mean, we don't know what happened to her. She may have remained being an outcast, I don't know. Probably not, but we can never know these things. But the principles are that she met with Jesus, it changed her life, and she wanted to tell everybody. And so I think we can learn from that. And who knows how God will use an encounter that we have with him in the future, who knows where that leads to, he encounters us. And he will seek us out. He's, I'm convinced that he sat there waiting for her to come. I don't think it was accidental. I think it was very much planned from God's point of view. And actually, anything that we do that's missional, we might think is our idea, but it isn't. Mission is always God's idea. He invites us to join in with him. He starts it. It all starts with him. It's not about us at all in any way. It's about him. It's always about him. And so we need to be listening out for what he's asking us to join in with. And we need to be brave because it's not easy. I can stand here and say, this, let's do all this. But actually, it does take quite a lot of courage. But if we put ourselves out there for God to share him with others, 
he will really bless that in some way. And, you know, if, if our whole lives, if we affect one person that draws them closer to Jesus, then our life is worthwhile. So it's got to be worth taking the risk for, hasn't it? And he wastes nothing. So even if we have a bad experience or something, it won't be wasted because we'll either learn from it or he will use it in some way further down the line for the good of those who love him. So may I encourage us, actually all of us, me included, I need to do this too, to be a little bit braver, to uh, be prepared to encounter Jesus, to seek encounter with Jesus. But then when we have, and it's struck a chord with us, let's not be frightened of telling others. And I'm not saying we have to stand on the street corner on our soapbox and yell at people as they walk past. But if there's an opportunity to bring it up in conversation, or even it might just naturally flow, we're having coffee with someone and you think, oh, you know, just the other day, and just be brave enough to share it. Because after all, that's what we're about. So may I encourage us to be bold, to be courageous, and to share the love that Jesus has for us with each other and beyond. Amen. I'll just pray and give a couple of minutes to think about what's been said. Lord, we thank you so much that you are salvation and that it is good news for everybody. Help us, Lord, to be brave, to share that with those around us. Help it to bubble up and spill out of us. May we bring you glory and may you build your kingdom through us. In Jesus' name, amen.